This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy... Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity, Art and Craft Creativity, Interviews with people who make, they are here to help keep you sane. Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Welcome to episode 171. On this podcast, I am going to bring you a conversation that I recorded recently with Anna Joyce, a 38-year-old crafty businesswoman living out in Portland, Oregon. She is currently on book tour with a great new book that just came out. It's called Stamp Stencil Paint, Making Extraordinary Pattern Projects by Hand. And this is a delightful book. I am a printmaker, so obviously I like anything that involves putting pattern onto surfaces. That's right up my alley. And Anna is actually a second generation printmaker. She will talk a little bit about that in the interview, uh, her kind of inspiration that led her down this creative path. She's also going to share the story of her dream to write a book. I know a lot of us share that same dream that she has just realized. I think Anna is going to inspire you. So grab a project. And while you're grabbing a project, I'm going to go ahead and thank my sponsors. Thank you, all you folks who sponsor me through Patreon. I really appreciate that. Uh, Having your support means the world to me. And also, I want to thank Ted and the crew at ACS Home and Work. These are the people here in West Michigan who are sending tea towels and other home goods all over the place for people to do their embroidery, printmaking, uh, screen printing, all kinds of other things using these raw materials, which is really fun. So head over to ACS Home and Work. You want to check out my sponsor, tell them Jennifer sent you and share the love with uh, these folks because they help keep this podcast going. So thanks to all of you. All right, so let's get on with the show. I think you're really, like I said, I think you're going to find this inspiring. And then be sure to head over to craftsanity.com after the show because I have also published a Q&A with Anna on the website. And it'll have links to her website, her Instagram feed, and we'll also have some lovely photos to inspire you to create. Without further ado, let's get to that chat. Your book just came out, Stamp, Stencil, and Paint, Making Extraordinary Pattern Projects by Hand. This is a really lovely book. As a printmaker, I love it. Uh, But as a general crafter, I love it on that level as well, because this book is accessible to everyone. You don't have to have a printmaking degree or have ever purchased fabric paint before. It's just great because uh, printmaking is huge right now, and people wanting to embellish surfaces of all kinds with their own design being able to kind of do it themselves. I mean, this is something that people are really gravitating to. And so your book is coming out at a great time when everyone wants to do surface design, it seems like. So uh, how excited are you to have this beautiful book out? I am so thrilled. It's, 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 a, it's an absolute dream come true. And every new thing that comes out, just starting to see it on bookshelves and people letting me know that it's arriving, every different kind of aspect of the book is new and exciting. And it's all so thrilling. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be happier. And I'm so happy with the way that the finished product turned out. And it's, um, it's been such an unbelievably satisfying experience to have a really clear vision in my head of what I wanted the book to be and how I wanted people to feel when they read it mm-hmm. and to have that have really come to life exactly the way that I had it in my mind's eye, you know, over two years ago. And then to hold a product in my hand that looks and feels just like I wanted it to is really satisfying. Well, congratulations. It's really exciting. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, that's Thank really you. wonderful. If they haven't seen it yet, uh, I encourage people to go out and, and check this book out because it is really visually stunning. The projects are, there's a wide range of projects. And why don't you talk a little bit about, just so people have an idea of what we're talking about, explain a little bit about your book, how it's set up and what people can expect. 
So um, the book is set up into four chapters. There's an introduction, which kind of talks a little bit about um, how I got my start as an artist and why I believe it's important for people to make by hand. And then it really launches into um, basically the title. Uh, there's going to be chapters for stamping, stenciling, and painting. And the stamp chapter, I teach people how to carve and print using um, simple block stamps. And then also a new uh, technique, which is these uh, really amazing high-density foam stamps, which were a product that were new to me when I started working on the book. Uh, they hold a lot of pigment, and they deliver really crisp, clean, large shapes that oftentimes I felt like you could only get from screen printing. Mm -hmm. And so that's um, a technique that I explore a lot for quite a few of the projects, and they're really fun. It's also easy on your body because the stamps are really soft. Uh, for people who've done a lot of um, hand printing, you can find that putting that pressure with your with your palms can kind of hurt your back and neck yeah. and things like that. And I found I really enjoyed these um, kind of high-density foam stamps because they deliver these great results while also being nice and easy on your body, which I thought was great. And then the stencil chapter is a little bit more involved. That's the one that takes kind of the most technical skill to execute, but it's still really simple. And I teach people how to uh, hand-cut uh, stencils and then print on a variety of surfaces. So I have projects ranging from fabric to baskets, um, got some ceramics, and even um, a light fixture for a barn lamp that people can, can stencil on, which I thought was really fun. When I started working with the stencils, it was really exciting to me to see all the different surfaces that you could apply pattern to. And then the last chapter is paint. And what I say about the paint chapter is that it takes the least amount of tools, but kind of the most amount of courage and spirit to execute. <laughs> and, you know, I think that people um, are hesitant to just take a brush and apply pigment to a surface. It, it can be kind of scary. And right. I hope that I kind of break that down and invite people to just play and make, make marks on, on a piece of fabric or paint a grid in a beautiful color way or simply just, you know, put, put a pattern onto a piece of, of cloth and make a bag out of it. You can create your own textiles. And there's a, an amazing variety of, pattern, of um, sorry, products that just make it really easy. So I think that the inspiration behind the book was that this would be a jumping off point and that people could be inspired to simply make. And maybe they don't need to make exactly what I made, but they could use their own colors mm -hmm. and just kind of have it be something that inspires them to pick up a brush or pick up some stenciling supplies and just get started. I'd like to backtrack a little bit here to um, kind of go back to the introduction that you had mentioned. Now, you explain right away, I mean, your first sentence is, I am the only child of two artists. And I can only imagine how cool that must have been um, to, <laughs> uh, to have access to really awesome supplies and get to work, watch people who create, like, work through their process. Uh, what was that like growing up, the child of two well, artists? You know, uh, growing up, it was completely normal. It was just, it was how people grew up. It was, you know, it was kind of only later in my life. I think that um, when I went to art school, you know, in my twenties and after high school, and then just even a little bit more now that I have my own children, do I realize how special it was and how unique it was. Um, so both of my parents were uh, working artists. My mom still is. My dad passed away in 2003. Oh, but sorry. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, my mom, is a printmaker and she used to take me to her printmaking studio on her back in a backpack. Mm -hmm. And some of my various, very, very earliest memories are of sitting in a pack and play playing with um, leftover linoleum blocks while she printed. <laughs> so that was the smell of a printmaking studio, especially, you know, a, one where people are using oil-based paints and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe one at a college or, you know, kind of like a large printmaking studio is something that I find overwhelmingly evocative of my childhood and has sometimes, I remember when I first went to college and I went into the printmaking studio and I really missed my parents. I was a little bit homesick being brought to tears by the smell of the ink and the, oh, wow. the, yeah. uh, the mineral spirits from really missing my mom. That was a smell that really um, reminded me of her. So, and then my father um, is, was a uh, photographer and sculptor, and so I was always in the darkroom with him, and he used to, I used to help him print the test strips, and he built me, you know, little stools for me to stand up so I could take the tongs and put the photos into the fixer and the stop bath, and, you know, I would 
be with him on the weekends. And it was a lot of times my parents brought me to the studio with them because they didn't have childcare. And it was kind of just how they did. So they right. would take off they would take off days or take off weekends because my parents wanted studio time. They were both working artists. And so I would uh, spend a lot of time with them. And then all of our uh, family friends were artists as well. My parents started a gallery when I was in um, elementary school that was a collaborative gallery. And so I used to go to openings every weekend. It felt like it was just like, oh, another opening. Okay. You know, and I'd go and go and hang out and see a lot of really kind of interesting political and experimental art in the 80s and um, that was just my childhood. And I was also one of the only children. Uh, my parents' friends weren't having kids. And so I was kind of the studio and gallery mascot and spent a lot of time there <laughs> and uh, did a lot of drawing. And it also meant that when I was drawing, I had, you know, rag paper and really beautiful pens or pencils or pastels. And my mom always gave me artists quality materials to work with because it was very much which is something that I talk about in the book, but you kind of never know when you're going to make a masterpiece, something that, that needs to be framed, something right. that should be saved. And if you're working on, you know, college school paper with a, with a ballpoint pen, which is totally fine. It's a, that's a great way to sketch. But if you're sitting down to make some art, it's nice to have rag paper, you know? Right. And then also that, that helps to um, kind of alleviate the, the fear of the blank page. If you're always working on rag paper, it's not scary to get a large sheet of good paper. Sometimes students are kind of afraid to break out the really good pastels and like the really good, you know, and it's like, do you feel like you were just like, you just kind of could just continue your work and it wasn't a big deal? Yes, definitely. It was, it, it, yeah, it was an amazing experience and I felt right at home and my parents 16th birthday present to me. And also I'm an only child. So I had a lot of, you know, um, advantages of being really supported by my parents. There wasn't any, no other siblings who needed, you know, lessons or had different um, interests that I was kind of fighting for. So I think that that also made it so my parents poured a lot of their energy into my interests. Mm -hmm. But my 16th birthday, um, they converted a, a spare bedroom in our house into my studio. So I had my own art studio that I was wow. able to kind of shut the door. And yeah, and, and they, they left it totally raw. So I could spill paint on the carpet and draw on the walls and just kind of do whatever I wanted. It was my, my own space. So I've actually had um, a studio where I work consistently since I was 16. Wow, that's great. Which is, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is great. And like I said, I mean, I really took it for granted until I kind of went out into the world and really realized what a unique upbringing it really was and how much it's informed my life. And so you grew up and where did you grow up? I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. And mm -hmm. and then you went to art school. At what, what school did you go to? Um, I went to art school. I, I spent two years at the Emily Carr Institute up in Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay. And then uh, transferred out of there and uh, finished up my degree at the California College of the Arts in printmaking. Right after college, what did you end up doing? Right away, you know, I mean, with a uh, with a BFA with highest honors in um, printmaking, I got a job waiting table. So <laughs> that was that oh, was man. what uh, the, the universe thought I was qualified to do. Oh, so boy. <clears throat> I, um, yeah, I waited tables and then I didn't have a place to print. So that was really frustrating. It was difficult for me to find um, a studio where I could go in and kind of have the, the creative freedom that I had when I was in school. And I felt pretty stuck. Uh, now, were you still in California I, at that point? Were you no, still? my husband, um, my husband and I moved, uh, spent uh, three months traveling through Mexico. Okay. And then what, what, right when we graduated. Yeah. And then we moved back to Portland, Oregon and got married in 2001. He was working at a gallery and I was waiting tables and I decided that I wanted to um, kind of continue my love for textiles because I had taken a textile class my last semester at school and had fallen really, really deeply in love with, you know, kind of like natural dye and weaving and textiles and textile history. <clears throat> it was something that I was really, really interested in. And I was given a sewing machine as a wedding gift. And my mom came up and helped me thread the machine and taught me how to sew uh, just a simple straight line. And I remember uh, I made a little tiny felt bag that folded over with mm -hmm. a little slit and I could um, put a button on it. And it was just this little kind of three by three inch felt bag with two stitches. And I just fell completely and hopelessly in love with <laughs> sewing. 
And um, yeah, and my father built me a table that fit into uh, a kitchen nook that we had in the house where we were living. It's actually the table that I still use today for all of my printing and and painting. And it's the table where I made the book. Cool. Um, And I just started sewing kind of every day before I went into work and started making bags and was hand printing fabric and just started doing all these kind of collage and working with vintage fabric and started a little fashion line and started selling that. So I kind of shifted my focus away from printmaking into um, accessories and housewares and, and fashion. And I did that for about four years, um, really kind of intensively. And where were you selling your work? Um, I sold my work in uh, quite a few places. I, well, not, not quite a few. I had a, I had a store in Portland called Seaplane that was really influential to me. It was a lot of kind of independent designers, and it started, I believe, in 2001 and was really kind of influential in the Portland fashion scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a, a store called Behind the Post Office on Haight Street in San Francisco and another one in Chicago and another store in Seattle. So I had, you know, four stores, and this was before people were really selling online. And so I was doing that. And then when my father passed away in 2003, I just, I took a break and, um, wasn't, wasn't really creating. And then I had a couple of children and then in, uh, 2009 decided that kind of enough was enough. And I wanted to start my own business and I kind of quit everything and put everything I had into um, working full-time, and I started my own business. Awesome. And how long did it take you to ramp up to a, a full... Were you working other jobs at that point, or just managing your... I wasn't. Okay. I wasn't. Yeah, I quit everything, and um, luckily I had the, the luxury of doing that because my husband was really, really supportive, and my parents were supportive, and my mom was supportive. And um, so I just decided I would kind of... I had enough... Um, you know, to, to keep me going for three months with childcare. I started my business with eight hours a week to work um, and just took it from there. And it took me uh, until the holiday season. And that holiday season, I had a few items featured in the Etsy gift guide and that kind of propelled me forward and made it so I could keep going. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So they, yeah. and how did you, how did they just spot you what you were doing on Etsy or how did you get in the gift guide? I, I, yeah, it was just, it was just, uh, kind of a, I was spotted by one of the curators. Sweet. That's awesome. So did you have trouble keeping up with the orders at that point when people, it was highlighted and then you're like, whoa, I'm a one woman show right now. Yeah, <laughs> what did, did you do at that I point? Did. I just worked really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there really isn't any secret or recipe or anything. It was just a lot of, um, really late nights. I put the kids to bed and I got into the habit of working in my studio until midnight. Um, and then, when they were at daycare or when I had um, childcare, I just worked, just worked and worked and worked and just kept going um, and just weekends and, and evenings and just kept, kept plugging away. And the things that got noticed, what were the things that got noticed? What were you doing at that um, point? The things, uh, the things that were in that very first gift guide were a set of three um, felt birds that I made. They were little Christmas tree ornaments. They were made out of felt with vintage fabric wings. Um, A Christmas stocking that was also applique. So I was doing mostly applique because I wasn't designing my own textiles at this time. You were doing sewing. I was doing applique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was was sewing and um, applique, kind of like a, uh, for lack of a better word, like a modern applique. So vintage fabric put in kind of um, geometric shapes. Cool, yeah. You know, yeah, kind of fun cute applique stuff, um, not traditional Christmas. And so I had a Christmas stocking and um, the ornaments. And then there was one other thing, and I can't remember what it was right now. But that was that was what I launched my shop with. I think I had 11 things in my shop when I first started. Wow, that's great. And then did you yeah. have things in, in brick-and-mortar shops as well? Um, yes, a little bit less, uh, but it kind of it went a little bit more and more. Uh at first, it was mostly just Etsy and then a few brick-and-mortar shops around Portland. Okay. And now, I know you still are selling your work online, and now you've, you've, yes. you've definitely changed to producing your own fabric. And how long did it, how long did it take for you to kind of get back to uh, the printmaking that you studied in school? Um, I, it, was, it was a kind of a difficult transition. It was hard for me to figure out how to 
have the fabric produced and where I wanted it done because I didn't have the resources to print it myself. So I needed to kind of partner with someone who mm-hmm. would, um, it was, it, uh, color is so incredibly important to me that I had to find someone who would print the color that I saw in my mind's eye. <laughs> Which um, is so hard so to translate to someone else. So yes. hard yes, to translate. So I needed it to be someone local. Um, there wasn't a way for me to kind of, and this was also kind of before spoon flour really took off and right. wasn't co- and wasn't cost prohibitive. And it was just, it's this kind of interesting time. And I ended up uh, finding uh, a guy who I've now been working with for four years. His name's Adam Porterfield. He's here in Portland and he's become a really good friend and kind of confidant and just a all around really, really great guy. And he started printing in my first textile collection with a set of, um, with a collection of three different patterns for napkins and a table runner and some pillows. And he helped me um, figure out the colors and printing everything and then, you know, sourcing the fabric. I was really flexing muscles that I'd never done before. It was, it was definitely a, a stretch for me, but I'm really happy that I kind of pushed through and did it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, was the, um, that was the kind of genesis of the, of the textile collection and the housewares. And are you still working with him? Does he still do your printing? Yep, he yeah. still does. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely somebody that I work with all the time. And and actually, those um, those first prints from that very first collection are still my bestsellers. So they're awesome. some of the ones that I still do. Yeah, it was great. And then the other um, the other big kind of moment in my business that changed everything that also dr- relates directly back to the book is I worked with um, these two incredible women, uh, Chelsea Fuss, who is a stylist and blogger and Lisa Warninger, who is a photographer. And I hired them as a team to photograph uh, my very first professional photo shoot. We did a lookbook for my, um, for the napkins and, uh, you know, whole kind of tablescape and uh, just this really beautiful professional photo shoot. And from those photos, I got a lot of magazine attention and was a Martha Stewart American Made finalist and the first year that they did it. And, you know, it was just, those photos really highlighted my brand and kind of introduced me to a bunch of people that would not necessarily have seen my work before. And do you think that that's a mistake that a lot of people make where they don't invest in the photos? Because it sounds like, I mean, you could have, you can have really great stuff, but if the photos are terrible, no one's going to really want to buy your stuff. I mean, I, I do. I I think that my number one advice that I give to people is to, um, is to hire exceptional people to photograph and document your work because there so much now that um, so much is done online and people can't feel the, you know, the texture of your cloth mm-hmm. and they can't see the quality of your printing. And it's also really important to tell people what you're trying to say with your work. You know, what is the lifestyle? What, what are your ideas behind it? Um, you know, there's a certain emotions that you feel when you look at um, when you look at a product and if that is, done in a really coherent way that tells a full story, people will feel it and they will either want to buy what you're putting out or, or maybe it's not for them, but they will feel what you're trying to say, which was also really important for me um, in the book. So I still work with Chelsea Fuss and Lisa Warninger. They're the, the team that I worked with um, who styled and photographed the book. Excellent. So you're able to, and that's yeah. gotta be kind of fun too, to work with the same team that you've been working with for your other things as well. So that's, that's That's exactly right. We've worked together um, on every photo shoot that I've done. Well, that's one way to have continuity (laughs) between projects. It is is a great way to have continuity. And it's also really amazing to, um, to have kind of a creative shorthand with a team. Oh yeah. Uh, You know, the, once you've been working with people for three or four years, um, they, they know what you like. They know your style. They know what quality of light you're looking for. You know, I mean, I can, the, the photo shoots and the, and the images and kind of the, for lack of a better word, vibes, you know, mm-hmm. have changed um, over the course of my career. But, but that continuity kind of stays the same. You can, you can tell that it's maybe an Anna Joyce product or um, that, that photo shoot. And I always know, I, I can relax knowing that I'm going to get something that I like because I'm working with people who I trust. Um, and I think that that's really important as well. Yeah, well, it's and it's the the photos on your website um, at AnnaJoyceDesign.com. Your the beautiful the photos are beautiful, and so people can go and see you. Uh, all these products that you're making. And can you talk a little bit about the products that you make? Um, so my products right now are a um, they're accessories for wardrobe and home. 
So I do a lot of um, purses. I have a little bit of apparel um, and then some housewares. And this season, uh, I introduced some new products, which are really, really exciting. Um, I've been doing a lot of indigo dyeing, and my work is kind of shifting over into creating textiles using dye. So that's been really, really exciting and new. Um, and I've also introduced jewelry. So I'm doing um, hand-painted and hand-dyed wooden bead necklaces. And those are so fun. I enjoy them so much. And awesome. it's really, really, yeah, thank you. It's really exciting to me. My customers have really, really liked them. And they were kind of an instant hit. And it's, um, it's really exciting and fun because I, I enjoy making them. I find them very relaxing to make. Um, so it's, it's nice to have something that I enjoy making uh, be something that people enjoy buying, you know, um, yeah. it's, it's really fun. And I have, um, quite a few handbags and tote bags, uh, some of which are screen printed. And then more and more after I finished, uh, stamp stencil paint, I was, had been hand printing and painting on fabric, you know, every day for nine months while I was working on the book. And when I turned in the manuscript and turned in the photographs, I kind of felt this full. Like I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to stop doing that. How can I, how can I continue doing this, this thing that I really, really love that's become a part of my daily life, but isn't necessarily a part of my business. And, uh, in 2014, I debuted a collection called the hand prints collection where I actually, um, hand printed and hand painted each one of the textiles. So I have a tote bag that's a splatter print and I, I go through and I hand splatter print each one of those panels for the tote bag um, by hand. So each wow. one's one of a kind. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a, it's a great way to, to create a, um, a unique textile. And it also solved a problem for me, which was having inventory. You know, if you run out of a, a, a screen printed panel, sometimes it can take two or three weeks because my screen printer's busy. Other people use him. And, right. And then, you know, getting the bags makes take a little bit more time. And if somebody wanted a, a splatter print tote bag, I can make that textile right away, you know, and I can, I can experiment and, and see, I can have a vision in my head when I wake up in the morning and have a product by two o'clock in the afternoon. And that was really, really exciting to me. So I kind of wove that into my, um, into my business. That's awesome. And so how much of the the printing are you doing currently? Are you still being able to keep up with that? Um, I, yes, everything, I, um, everything that is from the hand prints collection or is hand painted or printed, I do myself. Okay. And then um, there are some screen printed patterns and Adam still prints those. I did have one pattern um, that I was making that I am still making that's a, a triangle, it's like a block printed triangle. And okay, it was yeah. so, yeah, it was is so popular. Is that on the hand on the bags? That one? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, so it's called the Greta, and it's uh, it's got a really bright yep, cobalt I'm looking blue at that right now. suede bottom. Yeah, and a triangle. And that bag became so popular that I could not physically print those triangles. Uh, I mean, each each panel took 10 or 15 minutes to get to line them up. Well, yeah, you can't, you can't do it quickly. It's not random. It's precise. You no, know, each triangle no, has to line yeah. up, otherwise the design doesn't work. Exactly. So. And I was spending, you know, in, evenings in my studio until 10, 11 o'clock at night to get, you know, seven or eight bags. And I'd have orders for 25 of them. So oh, no. this, yeah, so this season, um, I'm having Adam begin to screen print those. But the screen print is taken directly from one of my hand-printed pieces. So it still retains that kind of... Um, uh, hand printed quality, but right. just simply to save my body, I had to, um, I had to, to make that, that one particular pattern is now going to be screen printed. Yeah. Well, that seems like that's just kind of, you had to make kind of a, a common sense decision about, yes. otherwise <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't be able to print or make anything. <laughs> yeah. And it also, it also just wasn't cost effective. I could not keep up with the demand for the product and right. you know, it was just, it's frustrating. And you know, if, if you can, if you can supply the demands then you can kind of keep going and keep innovating because it, it keeps your business going. So right. it's just exactly. kind of a practical decision as well. Now, are you sewing everything yourself? No, I work with a local um, manufacturer who okay. helps me fill my bags. And how, how, so, or at what point did you get to that level where you're like, okay, I need to, I can't do all this myself? About 18 months ago. Okay. And was that, yeah. was that, um, were you nervous about that or were you feeling like, of oh no, course. I'm totally ready yeah. for this? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, no, I, I was nervous about it. I mean, it's a, it was a lot, uh, but I found some people to help me and I'm very, um, uh, dedicated to keeping my production local as mm -hmm. much as I can. Um, it's important to me that the people that I work with are people that I look in the eyes. You know, right, it's just, right. I, 
I like to keep the quality. Um, I like to know it, it makes me feel good if I'm paying someone to know that it's helping further their business, further their dreams, helps them, you know, go on vacation or pay their mortgage or buy groceries or something. I really, I like that. I mean, I guess that's the way it is with, with any business that you're helping pay mm-hmm. other people, but I like knowing those people and it, it feels good. It's nice to, um, it's nice to work with local providers and Portland such a, has such a wealth of creative people, such a, um, a warm and welcoming and really inclusive community that I, I enjoy keeping my production local, at least for, for right now. I'm sure that I'm, I'm hoping that at some point I'm going to grow to the point where that needs to change and I can get to know um, other producers that are maybe larger. But right now it's, it's a really good fit. Well, that's great. And it, I think it adds to the story too, because you can yeah. you personally know all the hands that are going into making these the bags and other products that you have. There's something really cool about just it, I mean, you know the whole story and yep. you send it off to some place and you have no idea who's touching it or who's making things. It's it just, there's a little bit of a detachment. So that's cool that you're able to be so connected the whole way. And that probably made the decision easier to let other people help you out. Is, Absolutely. You know, Cause I think a lot of artists have a hard time like letting go of that whole process, even though not letting go of the process bogs them down, you know? That's so. exactly right. I, I think that people get so mired in feeling like nobody else can do it right. But I, I definitely, I mean, since I'm not sitting and laboring over making each one of those tote bags, I'm able to innovate and come up with new new products. And it, it leaves room to answer important emails and come mm-hmm. up with new designs. And I don't think I ever would have had time to sit down and play with beads just for an entire week if I had been completely up to my, you know, eyes in designing tote bags, let alone write a book. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That would have been completely impossible. Um, So I think that it's important for people to kind of let go of their babies to be out in the world Mm -hmm. and let them have a little bit of independence and and go free. And it'll actually help you grow and um, alleviate a lot of stress and and one of the ways that I was able to feel comfortable about making that transition was, like I said, was knowing the people who were going to be working on it. I wasn't just sending it off to someplace random, but going over and shaking somebody's hand and looking at their work and telling them exactly how I wanted it and making s- small tweaks and then um, having it be something that I feel really good about. The book project itself actually has really inspired some different things that you're doing with your design process, just being able to try out tools that you hadn't, you know, products, things you weren't even totally aware of as you could start to explore and research for the book. It sounded like you started to incorporate more of this stuff into your own practice. And that had to be pretty fun too. Oh, absolutely. It it was, it's, it's been the most kind of endlessly inspiring thing I've ever done. I, (laughs) I just, I can't, I really can't say enough, um, about how much I loved it. Um, it was so inspiring and I'm kind of one of those people that just really loved school. I really, um, I yeah, thrive I within, too. yeah, I just, I loved school. I loved having, um, the sounds kind of nerdy or whatever. I like having deadlines. I like knowing exactly when I'm supposed to have things, um, turned in. I'm a Capricorn. I like lists. I like, um, <laughs> I, I, I find that I'm, I'm really, really able to thrive within kind of loose boundaries. And working with Melanie Fallick, who is my editor, um, and SDC Craft, I had um, a list of dates of when everything needed to be done. And I found that to be just kind of very, very inspiring. And I could, I knew when, I knew exactly what was expected of me and was able to come up with all these new techniques and, and really dive into hand printing in a way that I hadn't ever done it before. And it was so inspiring and continues to inspire me today. Oh, that's great. So it sounds like this book project really um, lit a fire. And and not that you needed a fire lit, because it sounds like you were pretty inspired and enthused about your work. But do you plan to do more books? Would you like to do another book? Absolutely. Yes. I I really, really, really enjoyed it. It was, um, yeah, it was incredibly inspiring, really fun. And um, I love working with Lisa and Chelsea, the, the team, the photography team, one of my favorite things is um, kind of art directing and coming up with uh, how how I want everything to look and how what feelings those those images are going to evoke for people. So that a book is just you know 144 pages of being able to give people something visually inspiring to mm-hmm. look at, and I love I, I love creating that. And it was such a pleasure working with Melanie and STC Craft because they really really let me be creative and 
have so much control over the end product. And I, I think that that's a little bit unusual. And it was really, um, it was exactly what I personally needed, I think, to, to put out the best product that I think I could put out. Um, and I feel really um, lucky and happy that I was given the freedom to create exactly what I wanted to. Did you make a pitch for this book or were you recruited? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have this in mind and I was working um, towards having a book for a long time. I did a ton of research about how to write a book proposal and, you know, how to put it together. And uh, I went to Powell's, which is one of Portland's, you know, most famous bookstores, right. and kind of gathered gathered up every single craft book that I thought was gorgeous, and whether it was, you know, quilting or stamping or cakes or just kind of any, any sort of how-to book. And I gathered a stack of about 20 books and sat down and looked at them, and literally 18 out of 20 of them were an Abrams title or an STC craft book. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And <laughs> yeah, and I thought, God, these are these are these are the most gorgeous craft books that I could ever imagine. You know, and I, I loved them. And I did a research into trying to um, get in touch with STC, but they take no unsolicited submissions. So then I set about making meetings with um, friends in Portland who had published books and got some names of people and agents and just kind of some contacts and started putting out feelers and was in touch with a um, an agent and sent her my idea for a proposal and got back an email that literally said, no one wants to hear your story. Wow. And that's yeah. really, that's pretty cold. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, and I thought, wow. <laughs> oh my <laughs> exactly. goodness. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So, and it Jeez. was just kind of like, you know, hey, you know, nobody's really interested in, no, you're kind of, the, the, the basic tone of it was, you're nobody, why would anybody want to hear what you have to say about this? No one wants to hear your personal story of why art's important. Oh my and, goodness. Yeah. That's so, just, so, I can't even know. imagine somebody saying, I mean, it's just so, because I mean, I guess my mindset is that everybody, I'm a journalist, I mean, I believe everybody has a story, and even a consumer even, I love to discover stories I haven't heard before. And that's mm -hmm. really fascinating to me. So that's, I'm sorry that someone was so rude to you. <laughs> so rude. Well, you know, it was, it was, it was upsetting. I mean, I definitely, I remember getting, getting that email and thinking, oh, wow. Like, like they don't, like, this is, this is, um, that's, that's upsetting. Did that make the project better in the long run? Did it get you to retool or did anything good come of that? negative interaction that you might have had early on in the process. Definitely. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it, it absolutely something positive came from it. It made me angry. And it, um, <laughs> That's the it, best motivation sometimes. You're like, I'm yeah, going to show absolutely. that person. I mean, yeah. <laughs> once I kind of got, once I kind of got over the shock, I thought, no, you know what? You're wrong. This isn't, that's, I've got something to say and I'm going to do this and it's right. not, um, and I'm not going to let this kind of put me down. I did, I did take about six months off from working on the book proposal though. I mean, it was definitely um, something that, that was, that was upsetting and kind of set me back. Right. And um, I was at a, I went to the Portland uh, quilt market and was touring and kind of walking around and looking and was talking to another publisher who had actually contacted me about doing an applique book. And, um, ended up meeting one of the owners of Creative Bug, which is an online classes, right. uh, kind of they craft class company. Fantastic online craft yes. classes. Love, yeah. love Creative Bug. Yeah, I love and I met with um, Kelly Wilk, who's uh, one, of the, one of the women who founded it. And we, we took a meeting and she noticed that I was wearing a, you know, a badge um, to be in the, in the quilt market and said, oh, you know, are, are, you, thinking of, are you thinking of writing a book? And I said, yes, you know, I, I am, absolutely. And she said, oh, I, I know Melanie Fallick from SCC Craft. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you, You're like, excuse you me. You do? <laughs> That's How, awesome. I, nobody knows Melanie, you know, and I had done so much research. I'd listened to every podcast that Melanie had ever done. I'd read every article. I'd looked at all of her books. It was just I was trying to do anything and everything that I could to figure out how to get in touch with her without, and, and I knew that I didn't have an agent who would give my manuscript. So Kelly said, oh, sure, when you, um, when you have your book proposal done, if it's something I think she'd be interested in, I'll forward 
it to her. Oh, wow. And I went home that afternoon and made something I thought Melanie would be interested in. You know, it was like I, I worked with a, um, a graphic designer who's since become one of my best friends and put together a visual proposal for an applique book because that's what I was doing. And in the proposal, um, I, you know, I'd done so much research and I'd read one of the things when you're writing a book proposal that you should say what you're interested in doing for your second book so that um, the publisher knows that, you know, you're not just going to be a flash in the pan. Right. If the book is successful, you know, they can, they can count on you. Right. You're a well, so I thought, okay, again. Yep. exactly. So I said, oh, okay, great. So here's my, here's my first book. It's going to be modern applique. Right. And then the second book is going to be hand printing your own patterns. That's, that's going to be my second book. So uh, I got the proposal ready and I sent it to Kelly and she forwarded it to Melanie and Melanie emailed me back within an hour. Wow. And I, before I even read the email, went running through my house screaming. I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this. I was so excited. Finally, like calmed down, sat down, read the email and she said, you know, do you have time to talk in a week? So we set up a time to talk on the phone and had kind of instantly a really, really nice rapport. And she said, look, I really like your work, and I really love the photographs that I see on your website and the styling and everything, but I'm not interested in making an applique book. I want to make that second book that you talked about. And I said, all right, let's do it. <laughs> and um, took a weekend and developed uh, three projects, which actually all made it into the book, the final version. Well, good for you. Yeah, That's awesome. uh, one of them is the stenciled table linens, which um, just kind of remained as is, uh, which was really exciting, and um, put together a new a new project and a new visual proposal with a working title, and then it was about four months of back and forth. That was May, and then I signed my contract in September, so it was quite a bit of back and forth um, of, you know, working with... Um, you know, my numbers, how many Twitter followers did I have? How many Instagram followers did I have? How many Instagram and Twitter followers did my team have? You know, was this going to be something where I would have a following when the book came out? And I just kept saying, you know, if you give me a chance, I really, I'm going to do it. I, I promise. Like, I, I really, I really, really can do this. And Melanie um, believed me and kind of helped me get through the the application process with the board at Abrams and they have been incredibly supportive and uh now the book is out that's so cool so yeah. you got so in did the they end... come to me no <laughs> they did not come to me <laughs> yeah but but in the end I mean you got exactly what you wanted and that's so cool I did I yeah. did and you know what's funny is that agent that had said um that no one wanted to hear my story actually emailed me when she found out I was working with Melanie and was like, hey, let's pick up where we left off. I'd love to uh, you help kidding? you with this book. Are you nope. totally kidding? I, no. How do you even try I'm... to like come back after you've like, bashed them over the head with a I'm sledgehammer? Not and I, I politely oh, declined sakes. and said, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to go ahead and do this on my own. Yeah, so, thank my you. word. Thank you so much. Well, good for you for being a classy lady about the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's... It just wasn't the right fit. That's yeah. Right. No, I definitely don't think it was the right fit. My word. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. so you did this. So you just, um, and that's the thing too, that a lot of people think that, you know, they can't go through a book process without an agent. And it sounds like I've interviewed plenty of people who do. And, um, and they do say, you know, if you have an agent, you might be able to negotiate for more money, but then the agent will get that money. <laughs> so yes. you're not really coming out all that far ahead. And especially if, you know, working with everything I've heard and I've interviewed Melanie myself and um, she does. I listened to that podcast. Oh yeah. Well, I hope it was <laughs> yeah, helpful. That was, that was one of the podcasts I listened to. I really, um, I probably about three or four times. Yeah. Oh. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I know that, um, yeah, she's a very down to earth woman. Um, so it's Absolutely. not like there's any kind of scary, um, you know, you need a whole team of attorneys to talk to her. So yeah, no, it sounds like it worked out beautifully. And did you find that, um, that whole process of the the negotiation part of it, were you comfortable with that? Because I know a lot of artists, you know, they want to make make work and that's what they really feel like they're born to do. And sometimes when you get into the other, you know, business side of things, it starts to get like, oh man, like, you know, but it seems like everything went pretty smooth for you. You felt everything, everything did go, did go really smoothly. And um, I, I feel lucky that I have a lot of people in my corner who gave me a lot of good advice. Right. I did quite a bit of, quite a bit of research. It's really, really difficult to find on the internet what 
people make or what a, a normal advance is. Yeah, or what people a normal... don't really like to share that. No, and that makes no, it hard. They don't. That makes it hard because then the individual artists have no idea, like kind of what yeah, they're you, getting you into. you don't know if you're if you're being taken advantage of. Right. Um, and it's 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 an extremely opaque process. There's like no transparency to you know, what people are making and what the splits are for how many books you need to sell before you get into your royalties. Or, I mean, it's just, it, it, it was confusing. And the contract was, was, was confusing. It was, it was pretty stressful to do it without, you know, an agent. I think if I'd had an agent that was, that really had my back, I would have gladly worked with that person um, as part of my team, but I, right. I just didn't. So it, I didn't, that wasn't an option. So I, I needed to go ahead and do it on my own. And I felt kind of in my gut that I could trust Melanie and I could trust Abrams and I could trust FTC Craft. I didn't feel like I was going to be taken advantage of. But the same, in the same token, I, I really had no idea what was, um, what was expected, what was normal, right. what, was, what was fair. So did you so, talk to other authors then? I, I did. I talked to some other authors. Um, I had had, I'd been given an author, I mean, excuse me, I'd been given it, an offer from another um, publisher uh, for the original applique book. So I had that offer to look at against the offer from Abrams to kind of see what, you know, whether it was the same and what was better about the first doctor and what was better about the Abrams offer. And so I, I had something to compare it to, which was incredibly helpful. Um, and then I did talk to some friends and I also, uh, my, my good friend who's the graphic designer who did my, um, my website, Colleen Romike, and uh, who who helped me with my proposal. She's quite a bit younger than I am, and is very much from the kind of um, new generation of women who negotiate. I think that I'm kind of from a uh, kind of an interesting point of kind of the baby boomers. I hear women from that generation saying, "Oh, don't ask for too much; it might fall through," you know. And kind of I was hearing that in one ear. And then I was also hearing from this new younger generation, like ask for as much as you can so you know you got the best deal, you know? <laughs> right. And it's like, right. what, what was I, what was I supposed to do? So I decided that, that my friend Colleen, this young woman who, you know, does really well in her field, knew, knew what I was, what, knew what I should do. And I, I needed to like lean in and like have my moment, you know, and be, be a strong woman. So right. I, I, ca- I countered and I, I asked for, um, for more, you know, more of an advance and, and more of a, um, a better, uh, kind of split for the royalties and stuff like that. And I ended up negotiating a little bit of a better deal for myself. Um, and, uh, not, not a larger advance. I simply wasn't able to, um, to, to, to have more with, with my, um, kind of name and notoriety that I had at that point. Uh, it just wasn't available to me. I had been given the maximum amount that, um, that people, we're going to give me so. so that so those that social media aspect it sounds like that is really huge i know when i started doing this, it is. this podcast when you took the book project on did you think geez i better come up with some kind of like social media marketing strategies here to just get my name out more so by the time the book comes out i have more of an audience i mean was this something you consciously had to think about as you're going absolutely <laughs> yeah. so what of did you course. do so what did you do in that um, situation well I mean, I think it was a little bit, um, it was actually pretty organic. I, I like Instagram a lot. I oh, like I taking it. photographs. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I love taking photographs. I like documenting my process. I enjoy sharing it with people. So I'm not someone who finds it to be a grind or it's like, oh, I got an Instagram today or something. <laughs> I mean, I, um, I, don't, I don't feel that way about it, luckily, you know. So I think that that made it easier. I, I do find it difficult to do things like blog. I, you know, certain computer chores are, are more difficult for me. But Instagram, luckily, since people, you know, have taken to it so much, was is a real joy for me, and I really like it and interacted. But yeah, no, I had a um, I had a goal to get to ten thousand followers before the book came out. And what were you um, at when you started the book project? Five hundred. Wow. Okay, that's a lot to go up. Yeah, or three hundred. Or something. I mean, it was like not very much. I joined um, like while I was working on the book. I mean, my, one of my very first uh, posts was um, just you know of a of a brayer with some orange ink. You know, <laughs> like here you go. I'm I'm printing. Um, so yeah. So I had a a feature on Etsy called A Day in the Life, 
where I took over Etsy's Instagram feed, and they have millions of followers. Um, I took over Etsy's Instagram feed for five or six hours, and there were six or seven images, I think, five images maybe, um, of me working in my studio and um, meeting with Adam, the printer, and kind of like following me around my day. So that was something that Etsy was doing about a year and a half ago. And through that, I gained 2,400 followers in 24 hours. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So that's the power of being featured on something that was, you know, so so big, had so many followers. Right. So that that was a huge bump. And once I once I got kind of up over that twenty five hundred mark, you know, it started gaining in in fits and spurts, but pretty steadily. And then um, I've had a few photos um, reposted by Design Sponge by using their hashtags of um, you know these color or these pattern or what whatever it was. Um, and so I've had maybe three photos. Uh, reposted on her feed and that always gains quite a few followers and then just friends that have lots of followers coming to the studio and things like that and then um, once I kind of got up over a uh, a certain amount just just gaining followers each day and um, I actually reached 10,000 followers about 10 days ago. Wow so you made it. Unfortunately you can't go back and renegotiate your contract now that you're you have all these followers you didn't have. So the publisher, no, that was great for them. Hopefully <laughs> for a second, for a second book, it's going to be, you know, something that's oh, going to be a negotiating yeah, tool. And, definitely. and it's also just really exciting and just, just so fun to have my work out there and in a different, you know, with so many new people seeing it. It's just, I love all the people that follow me and it's, it's so fun. I love it. Yeah. And do you have a lot of dialogue back and forth? Uh, some, yeah. Yeah. I try to, I try to answer answer questions and, and have dialogue. Not tons, but, you know, quite a bit. Now, do you sell work through Instagram? How has that, how has that affected your work? Yeah. Um, it's, it's affected my work hugely. I'm able to tell people when I'm having a sale or sometimes I just do flash sales just on Instagram, you know, where it's like, oh, hey, today only necklaces are 25% off. And I, I only tell the people on Instagram. I don't even bother to put it on Facebook or Twitter or anything. And I will sometimes immediately within three or four minutes have a sale. Wow. Um, and then how do, people, people. how do people get the sale? Is it through your shop directly on your site mm-hmm. or and yeah, is it... I'll link okay. to Etsy or to, to, to something like that. So, and I think it's going to help book sales a lot. I mean, I definitely have been having people follow along with my entire process and showing them. I mean, one of my photos that has the most likes ever was when I debuted the cover for Stamp Simple Paint. And I think people just you know, there's like 200 comments of just congratulations. It's like, which is really cool. It's yeah. just unbelievable. It feels so good. And that was way before I had as many followers. It was just tons of people coming out and taking the time to say congratulations. You know, and it's it, it feels it feels really really good. It's interesting. I wonder I wonder where Instagram's going to go. I, I have a feeling that in ten years we're all going to sit around and be like, remember Instagram? That was crazy or something. You yeah, know I mean? I'm kind of yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, I'm but not for sure right either. now, it's it's cool. It's it's a great way to kind of immediately deploy what you're working on in your ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do. And like it's that. also yeah, it's also a cool way to be kind of strategic if you're if you're having a sale if you're rolling something out, if you're teasing something, if you want people to see, you know, a certain, I I don't know, inspiration. I try to be as real as I can with it. I'm definitely not photographing my dirty dishes or anything, but um, I do try to. (laughs) I I don't show the dirty dishes. I only show the dirty brayers. Not yeah. the dirty dishes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not photographing, like to... you know, my kid's room when it's like a total mess after they've had a play date or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or but heck, my I try, closet I try right to keep now, it real. it's a total disaster, but I'm not uh-huh. looking at it. I don't want to immortalize that on, on Instagram. I no. really don't. No. Yeah. Nobody well, needs to know. And is Instagram, would you say, of all the other, on Twitter and Facebook, is Instagram your number one? You're going to say? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. And, you... it's, and luckily it is, and I, I enjoy it the most. As well. I do I mean, too. I, think it's, I don't actually. It's the most just... authentic for right. me. I, I'm not. Um, I'm never, you know, lying or or pushing myself to to put something out there. It's always something I kind of want to share, and it's also been really fun and, and inspiring. Where, you know, taking a look and I um I have a series called Trespassing for Roses, um, which <laughs> is a one of my things. I 
I trespass and take photos of other people's rooms. <laughs> get, get, get up on their property if I see a gorgeous color and, and take a photo. Um, and I don't know if people think that's a joke, but I really do get up on people's properties and take, <laughs> take pictures of their roses and then, you know, slink away. Uh, and it's been, it's been really inspiring. And I, I'll go back and kind of look at that hashtag and get inspired for colors or tones or different things. It, it's changed the way that I look a little bit, you know, taking a minute to take a photograph of something that kind of catches your eye. And instead of walking by and thinking, oh, wow, that truculent was beautiful or doesn't, don't the clouds look pretty right now, but just taking a moment and documenting it and, and, and sharing it with somebody and saying, you know, look, this is, this is my inspiration. This is, this is what I see. This is why I do what I do. Um, I think is, is really cool. I um, took a lot of photographs of the ocean when I, over the course of the spring and it inspired the West wind collection, which is my newest collection with the indigo dye. Mm-hmm. Um, and those pieces are inspired by the, the space where um, the sky meets the ocean and the, the different color variations of waves and, and sky and rock, rock formations and trying to, trying to recreate water using water and dye. Um, and those, those photos were, were really, really cool to go back and to look at them and then to look at my work and think, Oh, you know, here's this direct correlation and this right. direct, um, you know, documentation of my inspiration was, is, is been really, really fun. Are you taking photos with, you know, are you using just your camera phone or is it a mix of professional and photos that you're just taking with your phone? Um, it's a mix of professional photos and, and ones I'm doing with my phone. The professional photos are all um, photos by Lisa Warninger and then generally styled by Chelsea, who both of whom I worked on the book with. Okay. Um, so they'd be product photos. So the professional photos are all the, the product. But all, the, <laughs> all those flower photos, that's all you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All, the, all of the, um, all of my, stu- I, I did have Lisa photograph my studio when she was in town last time. So I do have. Uh, professional photos of my studio to use for interviews and, you know, posts and things like that. But um, generally, generally, I'd say 90% of what you see on my Instagram feed, I take with my iPhone. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful feed. So those who have not signed up to be one of your 10,000 plus followers, um, (laughs) looks like you're at 10 and a half thousand now yeah. sister that's awesome um, it's anna joyce design on instagram especially if you're kind of having a bad day it's lovely to look at instagram and see some bright inspiring work to kind of lift your spirits and a lot of flowers i love the flower i do photos. i like flowers do you yeah, grow flowers do. yourself do you have time to no, maintain a garden i don't i'm not a gardener my mother is a like incredible gardener she has an unbelievable flower garden that is photographed I mean, we wake up in the morning at the we have a, a little house at the beach um my children are actually fifth generation having grown up um spending summers in this beach oh, town here in oregon so cool. yeah and um so we have a little house over there and we wake up every morning with tourists you know taking photos of my mom's garden it's like <laughs> it's it's really really unbelievable so i photograph her flowers a lot and then um I just am kind of obsessed with roses. I just think they're super beautiful. I never really, um, you know, would buy them for bouquets or anything like that. But Portland, you know, we're known as the city of roses and there are just so many beautiful um, bushes uh, with flowers on them. And I walk, I, well, I live close to my studio, so I walk home and um, to, to and from a lot and I stop and document the flowers on my walk Um kind of my version of stopping to smell the roses you know yeah, I stop and smell yeah. them and then photograph them and I just am kind of obsessed with their shapes and colors and the softness of the petals and the textures and everything and I never thought that I would be a rose enthusiast and I am and when it's peony season I just I, I, I go crazy so I love photographing nature and I find a lot of I'm hugely inspired by um, by nature and the changing of the seasons and those colors um, always always inform my work well, it sounds like to me like you're on a roll and this book tour has not even started. And uh, <laughs> it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really happy for you because I think that it's especially hearing the backstory of how you hit, you know, a couple speed bumps along the way. Um, not everyone was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Like from day one, you know, you had had to commit to your to the belief that you could do this and and do it even when, you know, there was someone in a pretty um, influential position telling you like, Hey, maybe not, you know, maybe this isn't in the cards for you. And I say shame on anybody who ever says that to any 
anyone who has a dream or a goal, I think the timing might not be right, or maybe the proposal isn't rock solid, or the idea might need a little more refining. But um, I, I think it's unacceptable, you know, to close the door completely on somebody. So if anybody else out there is feeling like kind of they tried something and it didn't work the first time, try it again. Because if you believe, in your, if, if, if you believe in your heart that you can do something, then, um, you know, chances are you were born to do that and you should try, keep trying. I, I couldn't agree more. And I've kind of tried to adopt the, um, the belief that, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. And if I had been, you know, accepted at that first proposal, I would have never been publishing with STC. I would have never met Melanie Fallick. I would never be. Right. You would have um, stopped pushing so at that point. Yeah. I would have stopped pushing and I would have probably been with a publisher that didn't give me the control that I have, that didn't help me execute the book that I really, really wanted to make, that I knew I could make um, and that I felt needed to be made. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was so important to me. And I think that it was a blessing in disguise. It pushed me to work harder. It, it, it kind of lit a fire under my belly. I'm definitely someone who has, um, over the course of my life, I've had a lot of success and I've definitely, you know, hit a lot of goals that I put for myself. But I could say pretty much without exception, it's never happened the first time for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I never say I want, you know, there was a scholarship I really wanted to win when I was at CCA. And I didn't win it the first year at all. I didn't even, I wasn't even a finalist. And it, it, it pushed me to make better work, you know, and to think, here's why. And when I saw the people that won, I knew, oh, well, my work wasn't as good as their work. You right, know, that's, right. that's why I didn't win. So this year, my work's going to be as good. It's going to be better. It's going to be the best that I can do. And I think that if you are really authentically putting out the very best that you can do and somebody says, no, just keep going, you right. know, I mean, you can you can really keep trying and pretty much everything I've ever achieved has come on a first, second or third try, you know, and it's not, it's not necessarily, it's not luck. It's not um, anything but kind of hard work and determination and just really working towards your goal um, and having that kind of laser focus. I wanted to write a book. It was unbelievably important to me. I'm still trying to understand why, why it was so important. I don't know exactly what it was about holding this documentation in my hands of a, of a complete thought, but it was so important to me and it's so satisfying to see that um, come to life. And now I have this feeling like, well, if I can do this, I can, I can do all the other things that are on my list as well. Right. And that's the most, probably the most empowering thing about the whole the whole experience is that it kind of yep. shows you that you can do really whatever you set out to achieve. It just might take, might take a few tries and, and that's it okay. It takes a few tries and a lot of hard work. You know, it's not, it's not just kind of hoping and wishing it. No, you have to do the work. You have to do the work. But if you keep that in your sights while you're doing the work, you know, you're going to get there. I mean, you really are. It might not look the way that you think it's going to at first, but generally people, people can get there. Yeah. Well, I think it's so wonderful that you've taken the time to share your story and your excitement level is just, it's contagious. I, I hope that all the folks at home listening dust off their bucket list and get it out and look at it and decide, okay, what am I going to work toward today? Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, a special thanks to Anna for coming on the show. This was so fun to talk to her and her book really is gorgeous. So check it out. And don't forget to stop over at craftsanity.com to read the Q&A and see photos of Anna and her work. Now, overall, I really hope this podcast inspires you to get out that list or make one for the first time. Make a list of things that you want to do during the course of your life and start chipping away at that. And as Anna said, you got to do the work. So if you haven't done anything today toward a goal, and then you're wondering, hmm, I can't seem to reach my goals, do something every day toward those goals. And eventually you're going to look behind you and realize you are standing on top of that mountain you're trying to climb. It's little by little, you got to do the work. And I hope this episode inspires you to get out there and do something, do something for yourself. I think a lot of us are in the habit of kind of putting our goals our you know, our dreams aside to help everybody else. And um, hey, you know, life's short, man. We got to get out there and do our thing. So go do your thing. Okay. And I'm working on doing my thing over here too. So I'll be making some announcements soon about some of the things I've got going. Uh, I don't have a book deal. (laughs) That will not be one of them. Uh, At least I don't have a book deal as of right now. Um, That would be great. 
but that's not that's not what I'm talking about. So, but I am working on some other things, and uh, I know Art Price starts Wednesday here in Grand Rapids, here in West Michigan, and um, I'm going to be very uh, very distracted by that in the next uh, for the next like two and a half weeks, three weeks or so, and um, so it's going to be hard for me to have laser focus about anything for the next few weeks. I am not participating in Art Prize directly, but I will be supporting a friend of mine who was featured on this podcast back on episode 168. That would be Jonathan Lopez. His Claylist project is going to be featured in DeVos Place, and that show opens Wednesday night. So if you're in town, stop on by. I will be kind of hanging around in the vicinity of his exhibit that night. Um, I'll be bopping around Art Prize the entire time, but... um, yeah, and I kind of did tell people, like, hey, if you're going to be in town for Art Prize, let me know. It'd be cool to meet up. I teach downtown at the community college, so I am downtown frequently. And, of course, I can't meet up in the middle of my class, so there are some times when I'm not able to get together. But it would be fun to uh, connect with some Craft Sanity listeners and other creatives out there. So uh, email jennifer at craftsanity.com if you want to connect. And you can also find me on Instagram under the name Craft Sanity. I'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast. Uh, In the meantime, I think I'm going to practice some of the stuff I preach. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) we we all can work on that. And um, yeah, and, and don't forget to craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week.